Bienvenido, bienvenue. I don't know that many other words for welcome. To another edition of Who Says No, I'm one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. Colin is not here today because we have a guest. The Eastern Conference Finals are going to start on Wednesday, and the Brooklyn Nets are not participating, despite, I mean, honestly, at one point, I think they were basically even money to win the championship. This is probably the most surprising playoff development, I don't know, in several years at least. So so joining us today to talk about the Nets, to talk about the way that they lost and the offseason ahead of them is the second, second time guest in podcast history, Billy Ryan. <laughs> Billy. Billy, I think you're getting you're slowly approaching friend of the podcast status. How does it feel? Oh, boy, that's big time. I have to come on a third time to officially get that status. But I appreciate you having me on, Sam. Yeah, Yossi Goslin is the only three-time guest, so I might just turn this into a race, especially with, I mean, the Nets are the most interesting team in the league, and they will be for the next few years. I think there's a good chance, like, we could just turn this into a recurring thing and then have the two of you guys fight for the top spot. But for now, I I think the most important thing that we have to get off from the top, I was wrong about a lot of Nets stuff all year. I had said, you know, pretty consistently that I didn't think they were going to win the championship. I'll put this out there now. If they were healthy, I'm pretty confident they would have won. I mean, maybe if you want to go back and say everybody's healthy, the Lakers were the one team that I think could have bothered them. But as we saw in that Phoenix series, there were structural issues that the Lakers had even going beyond their injuries. So, I mean, I I didn't think they were going to be able to defend well enough to win the championship. What we saw early in the Bucs series when Harden was out and Kyrie was in was the Nets were more than good enough on defense. And I'll take this a step further. I think that the Nets probably are going to bother Milwaukee on defense more than any team that they're going to play in the playoffs. I don't think Atlanta defensively has anything for Giannis. And I don't really trust Phoenix that much either. So right now, we're coming off of a series in which the Nets lost to the Bucs without James Harden for half the series, without Kyrie Irving for the other half. And James Harden was hobbled. So I'll just ask straight out, like, how are you feeling about that loss right now? Yeah, it's always frustrating when you lose, uh, whenever you lose. But I think it's especially frustrating that the Nets didn't get a chance to give their full crack at it here and uh, really go with their horses, or at least two out of the three. Because, I mean, Harden was below 50% of himself. Um, Kyrie obviously was out. And then you had Jeff Green hobbled as well. So, I mean, this is a really beat-up Nets team that didn't get a, really a fair crack to, to really uh, take their chance at the championship. So that part of it's frustrating. But at the same time, you have to just realize this is the reality of the NBA. Injuries come. And injuries go, and it just comes at random times. You can't really control that. You look at players like Chris Paul and Drew Holiday across the guys that have had injuries in the past, and they've been relatively healthy, um, especially Holiday. And then you look at the Nets, a guy like James Harden, who hasn't had many injuries in his entire career, and then this year he just happens to be beat up. So you can't really predict these things. It is what it is. You just got to move on to next season. And I think if you're the Nets, you got to feel as confident as you could about the future with this team. I think once LeBron got hurt, that was when it started to look like, oh, this is just the season where nothing is going to make sense because he never gets hurt. I'll say this, and obviously it's it's a not a great consolation prize. It's not what you're hoping for out of the season. What we saw out of Kevin Durant, we wouldn't have seen that if they had been fully healthy. And I think there are scenarios where Kevin Durant wins two or three titles easily with the Nets, and he has the two from Golden State. And nobody ever appreciates him because they say, oh, he just had the super teams. It wasn't really him. It was just the fact that his team was so good. They didn't even need him. I think there was a lot. There were a lot of basketball fans. And I think I might have even been among them that needed to see him do that to properly appreciate just how great he was. I mean, let's be honest. 
he came a couple of inches away from winning that series by himself. I think you could argue that, I don't know, those are among the three or four best three-game stretches in NBA history. I can't think of many better ones. Maybe LeBron in the 2016 finals. Maybe MJ has one or two. I, I just, I feel privileged to have seen that from Durant. It changed my perspective on him pretty significantly. So just as a basketball fan, like, it's not what you wanted. But I think for the Nets, it's kind of cool that you got to be a part of a moment like that. Yeah, I think when you look at KD, you mentioned the best kind of three or four game stretch or two or three game stretch that we've seen. I mean, the only one that compares to me in my mind is LeBron when he was carrying some some bad Cavs teams after Kyrie left and just kind of playing the entire game, doing it all. Obviously, it's an amount to win, similar to Durant here. Um, but it was just an outstanding performance in terms of doing everything and playing the entire game. And I think KD's was arguably even a little bit better. I mean, he was incredibly impressive in this series. And maybe for some people like you, you did need to see that. Um, I think right now there's no denying that Kevin Durant's the best player in the league. Uh, I think for LeBron James to reclaim that title, he's going to have to prove he's healthy and next year come back. I don't think we give him the benefit of the doubt at this point um, with just how great Kevin Durant has shown to be. And, and LeBron's um, kind of looking like he's aging a little bit this year. So I think it's Kevin Durant's league. And uh, I, I was going to tweak this over the weekend during the series. I, I feels like almost I mean, there was a point in kind of Kobe's career, LeBron's career, where they went from being that. Uh, transcendent all NBA type talent kind of in the prime of their career to then graduating to living legend. And I kind of felt like that's what happened with Kevin Durant over this series. Um, obviously he's been one of the best players in the league, probably top two for the last decade, but um, it really felt like we're looking at a player that's kind of in the back end of his prime now, but that is really truly a living legend. And this is a guy that's going to go down as a top 10 player of all time. I'm very confident in that. So um, yeah, great series from Kevin Durant. And I think the most encouraging thing from this entire year for the Nets is the fact that Kevin Durant still looks like Kevin Durant and he is now the best player in the league. So um, there were questions about that with him coming off his Achilles injury and he silenced all those doubts. And that's something that's going to make the Nets heavy favorites going into next season. I think that there comes a point with like a very, very small class of players where they just have nothing left to prove. I think for Kobe, it might have been the Orlando championship. LeBron conservatively will say 2016. It probably happened earlier. I think this was that moment for Durant where just he's infallible. There, there's nothing you can say that he can't do. I mean, the defense he played carrying such an offensive load, the playmaking, obviously the shot making was otherworldly. There's nothing left. Like he's an all-time great. He is, if not a top 10 player, somewhere very close to that. And I agree with you. I think he's the best player in the world right now. I'm not going to close the door on LeBron because, I mean, man, how many times have people done that and looked stupid for it? But he's going to enter next season, presumably, as the best player in the NBA. I think Luka has a chance to take it. I think LeBron has a chance to take it back. But it's a short list. And just, I, I can't, there's no, there aren't even enough superlatives for how great he was. I have nothing else to add. I mean, there was a great story that came out over the weekend. It was an older story, but it kind of resurfaced. That Kevin Durant has a size 17 foot but where's the size 18 shoe? And he obviously on that last shot that sent the game to overtime should have won it for the Nets. He came inches away. You almost wonder like, is the only reason he's not in the Eastern conference finals right now, the size shoe he wears, like that's how ridiculous it is. That's what we have to be talking about. But Durant is not a question mark for the Nets right now. I mean, he is the best player in the NBA. And as long as they have him and even one of those stars, they're going to be great. If they have all three of them healthy next year, I think the premise of this podcast is they have a lot more flexibility than it might appear, and they have a chance to win like 70 games. I'm not going to go here and say they're better than the Warriors were at their peak. 
or they're better than, you know, any pick your all-time great. I think they're the best equipped regular season team in quite some time. As we saw with all the injuries they dealt with this year, having just one of those shot creators gives you such a high floor. And when you have all three, just the odds of all three being off on a given night are so low that it's just so hard to lose regular season games. I have their financial commitments for next year at $156.4 million. That includes eight players, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, Landry Shamit, Nick Claxton, and Alize Johnson. Alize Johnson, I don't know, however you pronounce his name. He's non-guaranteed, but I expect him to come back. The question now is who are going to fill the seven roster spots around those guys, and that's what we're here to figure out. First things first, actually, I want to go back a little bit slightly. There is one negative that we kind of have to talk about, and that's that Joe Harris just had, I mean, man, the worst seven-game stretch of his career, something like that. I just want to pose this question to you quickly before we dive too far in. Are you in the trade Harris camp? Do you believe he's going to be fine next year? What are your feelings there? Yeah, I, I think with Joe Harris, you kind of got to evaluate it smartly and take a step away and don't be so emotional about it. I mean, he's still a really good player and one that's led the league in three-point shooting two of the last three years. I'm worried about him in big moments and playoff pressure moments we've seen over the last couple of years in the playoffs. He's had some stretches where he's giving you absolutely nothing. And it feels like when he's not making these shots, it gets in his head and affects his whole game. I mean, he took a pass right off the face from James Harden um, on a little skip pass the, the other night. And he was just, he was, he fouled Chris Middleton three times behind the line. Like he was just not playing the normal high IQ basketball you expect from Joe Harris. Um, so he seems visibly affected by that moment. So because of that, I think you got to listen on him. I think the only three guys that are untouchable on the roster are the three stars. So um, with Harris's 17 million that he's making next year, you have to see if there's somewhere around the league that, uh, you can get someone that maybe is a better use for that, a better fit with this team. Joe Harris, obviously, offensively provides a lot as a shooter. But with this team, it's all about the playoffs. And you cannot afford to have another series going forward where um, he's just giving you nothing. You can't afford someone to be that streaky. You need someone that could, even when shots aren't falling, be able to impact the game. So I think you have to consider from that perspective. And I have I actually just put out a, an offseason rundown uh, article on Nets Daily, published an hour or two ago. Um, it's right on my Twitter feed at Billy Reinhardt, but um, it goes through a lot of that. And I brought up a few Joe Harris potential. Oh, if you have trades, go ahead. I only have one. I couldn't find a good one. So I have one, but let's hear what you've got. <laughs> okay. So I originally had five. I started working on this a little before the season had ended. Um, but given Atlanta's surge, I'm not sure how realistic at least one to two of them are. Because, um, I mean, they're surprised people. They're in their Eastern Conference Finals. But the first one, I've seen a lot of Nets fans be open to this idea. Miles Turner for Joe Harris and the number I suggested that on a podcast a few weeks ago, or maybe it was a few months ago. I can't remember. And Pacers Twitter just came at me and said, like, you are crazy. That's just never going to happen. Maybe before the playoffs, that would have been viable. I think now that's off. That number 44 pick, interestingly enough, is Indiana. So they'd get that back. I think they're done with that Sabonis and, and Turner. Um experiment there. I, I don't know. I think Joe Harris can help them a lot. I think they got to get out of that glut they got um, in terms of Sabonis and Turner. So I don't know. I think that's something to look at. Nets could always upgrade that number 44 to their number 27 pick. I mean, there's a few ways they can maybe entice Indiana, but that's a baseline for something interesting. Me and you spoke about this and I got lit up on Nets Twitter about it. This was before Joe Harris struggled in the playoffs. So I wonder if that has changed at this point, but Porzingis for Harris, DeAndre Jordan, number 44, and number 49. I would offer that if I'm Nets. That is, I think, a great buy-low opportunity. The thing I wonder about now, though, is with all the shakeup in the Mavericks front office and, and with coaching change, I think the new guy coming in there is going to want to try and utilize Porzingis better rather than look to trade him. Um, and Joe Harris 
is a really good player and he'd fit well in Dallas, but at the same time, he doesn't have the same upside that Porzingis does. So I'm not sure that the Mavericks do that, but again, that's something I would look at. Uh, the, the theme here is getting bigger in the front court um, for Joe Harris. So the next one, I don't know how Memphis would feel about this, but Jonas Valanciunas, who's an expiring contract for Joe Harris in number 27. Uh, I think Valanciunas obviously can't switch, but he's just a bear inside. He would give the Nets some real size and, and rebounding on the. He'd be a problem so. for the Giannis matchup too, just because he's so firm. Like you know, mm-hmm. I felt like Blake Griffin mostly did a good enough job of defending Giannis. Jeff Green obviously had a lot of trouble. I think if mm-hmm. you're going to go with this strategy of we're not even pretending to guard you on the perimeter, we're just planning a guy at the basket. I think Jonas can handle that. Yeah, I, I think I don't know how Memphis would feel about that. Although he's an expiring contract, but uh, I, I do think Valanciunas would, would would do a good job for the Nets. And if they can't get Valanciunas, they can get a lesser player in a similar mold in free agency, potentially with Enos Cantor. Um, I think he could do similar things in terms of being in just a really good, strong guy on the interior, has defensive limitations. Um, offensively, he, he could do something. So there are a few options there. Ideally, I'd want something that could stretch the floor a little bit more offensively, like Turner or Brazingis, but Valanciunas, I think, would be, be a good, good fit as well. The next one, and this one I'm on the fringe about, um, partially because of the injury concerns of the guy I'm going to mention, but Danilo Gallinari for Joe Harris. Let's get a little bigger, a 6'10 forward. He can kind of play three through five. Um, he, he's a proven veteran in the playoffs. He's having a good uh, postseason for the, the Hawks. He's better all-around player than Joe Harris, and he still shoots 40% from three. So uh, I think that's something both teams could look at. Gallinari somehow still only 32 years old, so he's not that old. Um, and I think he could be helpful for the Nets, although I'm on the fringe about that one. And then the final one, which I don't think has a chance of happening anymore, given Atlanta's run, Herter's breakout, but uh, Capella, Herter for Harris, Claxton, number 27, number 49. Um, again, I don't think that, that that's realistic anymore, but that, that was the basis of something I had thought about earlier. Yeah, I think Capella and Herter are probably off the table for Atlanta. The Gallinari one, it interests me. I mean, if you're Atlanta, you get off of the injury risk, but you also take on more long-term money. With John Collins getting extended, I'm not sure how they feel about that. But I think there's something there. The Porzingis one is basically one of those sides would absolutely not do the deal. I just don't know which one it would be because we don't know who's running the Mavericks. I I personally, if I could get off of Porzingis for Joe Harris, who I think is still a positive value asset, even on that big contract. And it's what? It's three years, 58, 59 million left. Something like that. Something like that. He's about about 17 million next year. And I think he has another... 18 and 19 the year after. So it slightly goes up. I just, my, my issue with the Porzingis trade more than anything is the Nets are the favorite. And we sort of saw this on a smaller scale when the Warriors signed to Marcus Cousins. When you're the favorite, you don't need to introduce variants. You need as much stability as possible. And like what we saw was when the Warriors got to the finals, the Marcus Cousins wasn't really all that productive. If they would have used that mid-level exception on like a more stable wing producer, Maybe they would have overcome the Raptors even without Durant and without Clay at the end of that series. I think if you're the Nets, what you're thinking is we just need stability more than anything. The Joe Harris trade that I have, and I'm not sure that they would do this, I think this depends on some lottery luck. If Cleveland ends up in a position to draft Evan Mobley and they have Mobley and Jared Allen as their front court of the future, what about Joe Harris for Larry Nance? Somebody who is a lob threat for James Harden, who's pretty switchable in the perimeter. He's played center in the past. He's mostly played forward since he's gotten to um, – well, I don't want to say since he's gotten to Cleveland, over the last few years since LeBron has left. How would you feel about that? Yeah, I don't think the Nets would consider that. I think, I think Joe Harris to Larry Nance is a downgrade. Um, you're trading a better player for a potential fit, and I don't think 
given the Nets how talented they are. I think they could run it back with the same roster and they're their favorites. And if they're healthy, they have a good chance to win it. So I, I think that would just be doing too much. I don't think Joe Harris needs to be traded. So like I mentioned, I, I looked around the entire league and the ones I mentioned, the five I mentioned are the only ones I'd probably consider. And you don't even know if the other team would do it. So um, I still have a high price on Joe Harris. And uh, I, I think he's someone you keep unless you can really um, fix the few areas they need where it's uh, size and, front court shooting and a little bit of defense, which Nance does provide, but I don't think he's at the level of player that you'd give up Joe Harris for. He's a little redundant, right? Because when the Nets want to, you know, play the switchy, you know, five switching defense, Nick Claxton theoretically can do that. That wasn't what got him played off the floor in the Buck series. It's just that he wasn't good enough on offense to really contribute there, which they needed with their stars hurt. So I think if you're trading for a center, you probably want somebody a bit bulkier and more of like a rebounder, I, somebody a little bit tougher in general. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. The one other advantage of doing the Nance trade is that it saves you a bunch of money. And as we're going to get into, the Nets are about to get very, very expensive. That number that I threw out there, $156 million, that is before Jeff Green. It's before Blake Griffin. It's before Bruce Brown. It's before Mike James. It's before Spencer Dinwiddie, who that's a whole other can of worms that we're going to get into, and before their first-round pick. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how willing to commit financially the Nets are. But saving money wouldn't be the worst thing for them. I will say the last thing on Joe Harris, I would be trying to trade for him if I was another team. I think if the Nets had been operating at anything close to full strength, I think he would have come around in that series. Like, mm -hmm. I, get the, I get the idea that we saw this with Kyle Korver in the playoffs, too. We've seen it with a lot of shooters of that ilk. Once teams have seen them play enough and know what they're doing to get open, they tend to be easier to stop. But I think if you have the right offensive centerpieces, like I'll just throw out an example here. The funniest trade for me would be KCP for Joe Harris, because I have a very infamous tweet involving those two, which I just think would be pretty hilarious. But um, if I were the Lakers, I'd do that in a heartbeat. If I were the Nets, I would just say, what are we really gaining here? Like, I don't know what KCP really does for them. So mm -hmm. I think if you're if you have a guy that other teams want, that should probably tell you we don't need to trade him. I don't think they need to trade Harris. I think they do it if the right offer comes along. That being said, I want to exactly. go into the free agents. Um, Wait, real, real quick, real quick, real quick. I do want to say my dream scenario would probably be the Porzingis trade. Um, and I, I'm just thinking about the front court rotation and how players fit together and just in terms of having the most versatility with your lineups. I mean, if you have Claxton, let's say you bring Blake back on the on the um, the non-bird pay raise or the minimum, whatever, um, then maybe you can get P.J. Tucker for, for the, uh, the mini MLE. If you could have, I think Tucker and Porzingis complement each other well because Tucker could be physical inside. He can guard fours while Porzingis takes the five. You still have maximum front court spacing. Um, Porzingis' ability to shoot would help Tucker's kind of inability to shoot or being streaky at this point of his career. And I think Claxton could play with Porzingis, guard fours. Offensively, he plays the five. I think Blake could play with Porzingis, although you wonder who guards fours there. But I think Blake can guard some fours um, still at this point of his career. He showed that he was pretty good at switching out um, for the most part. So I, I feel like all four of those guys could potentially play together. So I would really like how that front court rotation would look, if possible. I'm going to burst your bubble here. The Bucks are paying P.J. Tucker. Like, I just, you after so? the series he just had, they have his bird rights. I don't know if they're going to give him the deal that he necessarily wants. He's going to get more than the taxpayer mid-level. I don't think he's going to get four years. But I think if you said he got two years, $25 million, I wouldn't blink at that. Like, that after the series he just had, I think that's pretty likely. Especially because the Bucks have no avenues to improvement. They have no picks. They have, they'll have the taxpayer mid-level, I guess. They are so thin that I just don't think they can afford to get rid of a guy like that. 
Even if you're re-signing him just for the purpose of adding tradable salary, I think you have to re-sign him. I have some other taxpayer mid-level exception guys for the Nets that we'll get to. I just don't think Tucker is in that range. I want to talk about their own free agents first. And the guy I want to start with, though, is Jeff Green, because I think he has the most variability. Based on the season that he just had, I'm pretty confident that he is worth more than the minimum. Now, we'll see how much more, but I'll just ask you point blank, if it took the mid-level exception to re-sign Green, would you do that or would you rather sign an outside guy? It depends who's available to me. I'm sure we'll get into the free agents, but if I can get Otto Porter Jr. or Rudy Gay, I'd prefer the two of them. Um, I'd prefer P.J. Tucker as well. Um, Beyond that, I guess maybe if Serge Ibaka opts out, which I don't think he will after his injury. Um, But uh, other than that, I think I'd probably go with Green. But if I can get Porter Jr., um, Rudy Gay, or P.J. Tucker, I think those three guys I'd probably let Jeff Green walk for. Um, But Jeff Green expressed how much he really enjoyed his year in Brooklyn. He has been a minimum player the last four years, and he's been vocal about that. He thinks he's outperformed those contracts, which he has. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I I don't know if he's going to leave Brooklyn in the situation he's in right now that he really likes with with Kevin Durant, with James Harden, guys he has relationships with for maybe a couple million more per year. So um, I think he's a guy that definitely could take another discount year. And then the Nets would have his his bird rights next summer that they can pay him a little bit more. So that's a similar situation to Blake as well. If they both latch on for more of a discount this year, the Nets can maybe um, give them a little bit more of what they're worth next summer. Yeah, I think Blake is pretty much a lock to come back. I mean, just looking at all the money he left on the table from Detroit to get to Brooklyn, I think mm-hmm. he's all in on this. His goal at this point is to win a title, and he's made so much money that I think he can afford to do that. Jeff Green has made good money in the NBA. Jeff Green hasn't made Blake Griffin money And there is a pride element of this, too, right? I mean, Jeff Green has been vocal about the fact that he thinks he deserves more than the minimum. And I would agree with that based on the season he had with the Nets and, frankly, how good he was in Houston before that. Like, I was surprised he was available for the minimum last year. So I would say there is a chance he comes back on the minimum. I don't want to deny that because he's older. And I think he recognizes that opportunities like the one he has in Brooklyn are pretty rare. But I do think some other team is going to offer him more than the minimum. And I do think there's a chance he takes it. The other guy that I want to dive into a little bit more is Bruce Brown. I think he's the most interesting free agent of this summer because he is very, very valuable to a select few teams, the Nets being mm-hmm. one of them. If you have the shooting to really use Brett or Bruce Brown the way that the Nets did, I think he's a tre- tremendously valuable player. Very good defender, great offensive rebounder. The floater speaks for itself. I just don't know how many teams have enough shooting to really use him that way as a center on offense. And as a guard on defense, like that's a really unique sort of player. What do you have a walkaway number on Bruce Brown? Are you saying whatever it takes? Where are you at? It's not my money. Um, so for me, I think when you're in this scenario, you if you have the ability to play players, you can't let good players leave. But um, from what I've heard, I think the Nets do have a walkaway number on him. I think I project him at eight to ten million annually. And I think if it goes above that, the Nets might say uh, that's a little bit too rich for us. So um, that, that's what I've heard. But um, I'm not sure what the number is for the Nets. I think, like I said, I think it's going to be eight to 10 million um, about his range. And I think if it's, if it's a little bit above that, I think the Nets might um, say it's a little bit too rich for us. So again, I don't think you should let good players leave when you don't have an avenue to replace them. But I, I think that might happen here. Yeah. My question for Brown is just who's going to be the team that pays him. I mean, I don't think they should do this. I'll make this very clear. I think they need to focus on adding offense. It would be such a Tom Thibodeau move to add Bruce Brown. Right. Like, wouldn't Tom Thibodeau just love Bruce Brown and just go on and on about his grit? Like, that's just the sort of thing that he would want to do. 
I hope that Leon Rose protects him from himself because it's not a good fit there. But other than the Knicks, I'm just like, I don't think the Spurs would do it. I don't think the Thunder would do it. And suddenly you start to run out of cap space teams. I don't think the Mavericks would do it. I don't think the Heat would do it. So I think the Nets might get a little fortunate and have a situation sort of like on a smaller scale, what Eric Bledsoe went through, where he was just a restricted free agent for months and months and nobody was offering him a deal. So eventually he came back to the table and settled with Phoenix. I think this is a situation that could drag out a little while and say Bruce Brown resigns in like, you know, August or September, a little bit down further down the line because nobody else can offer him more. I could maybe see him taking the qualifying offer too, but I doubt it. I think that eight to 10 million figure is right. I think it's about what he's worth. The sneaky question here though, is Josiah is the second richest NBA owner, I believe after Steve Ballmer. He wasn't, he didn't go all out this year. They didn't spend the mid-level exception last offseason. They let Garrett Temple go on a pretty affordable $5 million team option. Eventually, it looks like the Nets are going to reach a point where they say, we're not going to, we're not going to have a $2 million, $200 million payroll. There's going to be an amount where they say, this team is too expensive. We have to stop. And I think the compromise they're going to have to make here is, I think it's going to be one of the three following scenarios. Number one, they re-signed Bruce Brown. Number two, they re-signed Spencer Dinwiddie. Number three, they trade Spencer Dinwiddie for a player of comparable salary. I have some Spencer Dinwiddie trades for you here. I'm not crazy about any of them, but I'll just throw these out there to you. If you have any, let me know, and we'll see which of the three seems most appealing. I think the dream scenario for the Nets, if they were to trade Spencer Dinwiddie, is Marcus Smart. I don't think Boston does that, but I think there's an argument for it because they don't have a point guard right now. They just traded Kemba Walker. There have been some rumblings that maybe some teammates weren't happy with Brad Stevens favoring Marcus Smart. I don't think that he is quite as untouchable as he's been in the past. That's the dream scenario, but I don't think Boston would do that. And then my more realistic one is Josh Richardson opting in for Dallas, the Mavericks swapping Dinwiddie for him, and then saying either Richardson refines his form here or we have tradable salary at the deadline for somebody else. Of those three scenarios, between re-signing Dinwiddie, a trade, or re-signing Brown, what appeals to you most? Re-signing Dinwiddie or Brown, you said? Yes. Let's say they're only um, going to do one of the three. Like, they have one $10 million or so salary slot, and it's going to Brown, it's going to Dinwiddie, or it's going to a player that they trade Dinwiddie for. Well, I think Dinwiddie's going to get potentially double of what Bruce Brown gets, so that might not be an equal comparison. After but I think the injury, the- really. Oh, yeah. I mean, most multiple reports have said he's, he's going to get in the high teens. I think he's going to get something like 17, 18 million dollars a year. Um, That's a bit I rich think, for my blood, but I can see why teams would think that. Yeah, I, I mean, thought he, he was an all star before he got before. Um, well, he, he got hurt this year. I thought he was a worthy all star choice in 2020. And he did not have a total ACL tear. It was a partial tear. He's, he's healthy right now. He was going to try and come back for the NBA finals. Um, he's still in his prime age. So, I mean, he's a guy that could be plug and play as a starter for a team. So um, he's going to have a market. I think he's going to get something around four years, 80 million, maybe a little bit less. But um, I don't think the Nets are going to be able to pay that. I think they're going to let him go. Ultimately, I think a sign and trade is definitely the the lead possibility. But if you ask me in terms of those three scenarios, I would personally rather keep Tim Woody than sign and trade him or, or keep Bruce Brown. He's the best player of the three. However, I also, in this article that I, I, I plugged before that I just published for Nets Daily, I had a couple of sign-and-trade package ideas for Dinwiddie. The Josh Richardson one is interesting because maybe you could buy a low on him. He could bounce back. He does theoretically provide defense. I brought up Dallas for Dorian Finney-Smith or Maxi Kleber in a, in a sign-and-trade. Um, I think that could do something for the Nets. 
the Clippers, if if they want to do that, although my question about the Clippers is because if the Nets are signing trading Dinwiddie, it's because they don't want to pay him. So they want someone that's a little cheaper. So in my scenario, it's Marcus Morris or Serge Ibaka if the opts in. Serge Ibaka, you save a little bit of money, but Marcus Morris is almost a wash out from a salary perspective for Spencer Dinwiddie. So I don't know about that. Marcus Smart I had as well. I think that's a trade Boston should do. I think a lot of people overrate Marcus Smart. Um, it's gotten to that point. He was underrated for so long that now he's overrated. Um, they need a point guard, like you said. I think Dinwiddie is a, a better player for that scenario, and I think Smart could actually be better for the Nets. So I think it would be a win-win there. Um, I have Denver for Will Barton if the, the Mavericks – I mean, excuse me, if the Nuggets want to get more ball handlers and really push it forward for next year when Jamal Murray's healthy. And then I have Miami for Kendrick Nunn. I know the Nets spoke to Miami about – um, potentially none at the deadline. Um, it would have to be a double sign and trade. It would hard cap the Nets. So that's kind of the roadblock there. But um, if the Nets are just trying to get something back and Miami can't really get that big fish out there, maybe they go Dinwiddie over Oladipo. And I think that would be smart for them because I think Dinwiddie's better and has better uh, health profile going forward. So, Yeah, I think anything that hard caps the Nets is probably off of the table just because they have so much salary committed to those stars. I don't think they could feasibly build the sort of roster that they want around those guys if they're taking on none in a double sign and trade. I, the reason I like Richardson for Dallas is that Dallas has enough cap space to just sign Dinwiddie outright. If they're going to participate, I think it's because they want to gain, they have to gain something out of it and getting rid of Richardson and having cap space to spend on somebody else, or maybe even retain Tim Hardaway Jr. would probably help them. I think they would probably just want to get off of Richardson in this scenario. I don't think Richardson is negative value by any means. I think it's just more for Dallas specifically They'd probably rather have the flexibility to either re-sign Hardaway or add somebody else. Um, I'm just the Marcus Smart thing. I think you have a point. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't think he is the first-team All-Defense guy that maybe he thinks he is. I think he's slightly worse than that. I think the shooting is so frustrating, and it's frustrating in a way that Boston could deal with, but maybe Brooklyn can't because if you're taking nine threes a game when you have Durant, Harden, and Irving on your team. I can see how that would get grading for guys like that. So maybe there is something there. I, I don't know. I doubt it, but I think it's it's feasible. I don't the Clippers one, I don't think the Clippers would hard cap themselves. I think that's the issue that they're gonna run into. Mm-hmm. But I think the basic tier of player that you're talking about is probably about right. The issue though, though, more than anything, is there has to be a deal in which both sides gain something from participating. Like the Heat can just sign Dinwiddie outright. The, the Mavericks can just sign Din, Dinwiddie outright. We haven't talked about the Raptors, but they could too, and I think that's another team that makes sense for him. As far as potentially re-signing him, do you think he makes sense with the three stars? Yeah, for sure. I think we saw this uh, this playoff run. You can never have enough ball handlers, and the Nets are going to load Mavericks. Right, he'd Kyrie be great Irving. insurance. Yeah. Yeah, you, I mean, I think as long as you have Kyrie Irving, part of what I liked about it is that you had Spencer Dinwiddie because Kyrie's an injury-prone player, and Spencer could step up whenever you needed. The Nets are going to do a lot of load managing next year, and I think Spencer could play with Harden and Kyrie without a doubt because he can defend the wing. He can play on or off the ball. I mean, since he's been with the Nets, he's played with another high-usage ball handler at all times, whether it was D'Angelo Russell or Karis LeVert. Um, and, it's, and then Kyrie Irving for a brief time. So uh, I think Spencer could fit in there um, and, and work out well. And I think if the Nets had Harden, Kyrie, and Spencer with Kevin Durant, I mean, that's four players on the floor at a time that you can really play fast because whoever's getting that rebound, you could push it up the court. You have athletes in transition. Um, and I think I think it will work out well. Yeah, I think people sort of overrate the issues that Dinwiddie has as a shooter. 
I don't think he's a bad shooter so much as he's somebody that I don't know. I, I guess I don't know how to put it. I think he's a better shooter than the numbers suggest is where I'll leave it. I mean, he's been a higher volume guy in the past too. Obviously he's a good defender. I think he's somebody for Brooklyn's sake uh, on that front makes some sense. And he's switchable too. He can guard multiple positions. You brought up another name that interests me and this sort of dovetails into free agency. Would you have any interest in Victor Oladipo as like a DeMarcus Cousins sort of he's injured. Let's give him the mid-level exception at TV. He can prove himself sort of deal. I haven't even thought about that. If there's a possibility that Victor Oladipo would take the mid-level, I, I take him in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, I just, I wonder who's going to pay him more than that after all the injuries. Uh, that's this, fair like, enough. I mean, and he has that connection with Kevin Durant and even Jeff Green from uh, the Maryland area. I mean, they're close. I thought about Oladipo when he was, when we were thinking that he could be a rebound candidate, potentially as a third star trade. So, um, listen, if I think I'm all for talent grabs, always. I think if you get Oladipo for the mid-level, I mean, who are you really giving up instead? You, maybe you don't resign Jeff Green. I mean, I, I think Oladipo would be worth it at that point. Um, maybe it helps rehab his value, and he could be a, a cheaper alternative to to Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, if the Nets let Dinwiddie lead and kind of be that guard off the bench that can create offense for you, I mean, I would 100% go for that. That would be the type of move that would get every GM in the league upset about, um, that the Nets are able to get a player of that caliber, a former all-star, a young player. Um, for that value, but I mean that's that's a win-win move. The Nets can do that. I think that's another one of those like it's a high risk, high reward situation where the team taking the risk probably doesn't need the reward. Like I think if but you're is gonna, it, is it really a, is it really a risk though? I mean you're paying five six million to Victor Oladipo. I mean the Nets played five million to Garrett Temple two off seasons ago. I think Oladipo even whatever he is right now, I mean he's gonna at least be that value. Well, the, the downside risk is the guys that you're not signing with the mid-level, right? I mean, I've got a list here. Tell me if any of these guys really appeal to you. My favorite mid-level target for them would be Nerland Sowell. I think he's probably played himself out of mid-level territory. But I think defensively, you couldn't ask for a more perfect center for that team. Just because he can play drop coverage, he can play more on the perimeter. I wouldn't want to switch five, like switch everything with him. But he can play on the perimeter a little bit. He's a lob threat. He doesn't have great hands, so that's not ideal. But he is still a lob threat. He can definitely get up there. That would be my favorite choice. Maybe Paul Millsap. Maybe Andre Drummond. I can't say that with a straight face. Um, maybe Nick Batum, but I think the Clippers will probably give him their mid-level. Um, there are other options out there. Are there any other taxpayer mid-level guys that you're looking at? So this is between guys that could potentially be just above the taxpayer, maybe like a wish list type around the taxpayer or at the minimum. I kind of made a list in my article, guards, wings, and bigs. The guards, I got Patty Mills, Avery Bradley, J.J. Redick, Austin Rivers, Lou Williams, Brent Forbes, Wayne Ellington, and Garrett Temple. Wings, I got Otto Porter Jr., Rudy Gay, P.J. Tucker, Carmelo Anthony, Nick Batum, Reggie Bullock, Kent Bazemore, Wesley Matthews, Torrey Craig, Doug McDermott, Tony Snell, David Waba. And the bigs, I got Ibaka, Tristan Thompson, if he opts out. Same with Ibaka, uh, Paul Millsap, as you said, Jamichael Green, Dwight Howard, Enos Cantor, Bobby Portis, Daniel Tice, Markeith Morris, DeMarcus Cousins, because I still feel like he has a little more left. I'm clinging on to it. And then he wasn't Pierce. bad in game one against the Suns. No, no, he has a little bit. I, I, I don't know. I think if a lot of these center guys depend on if the Nets can get off DeAndre Jordan, because I don't think you can pay one of these true center types that you're banking on for a, a rebound if you still have Jordan, because then you have Claxton, and Claxton's not ready to start yet, and you just have too many bigs. So some of it depends on that. I actually didn't even include New Orleans Noel, even though I like him, just because I think, like you said, he's played his way out of that territory. And he has a, a near mini mid-level offer from the from the Knicks to stick around there, and he'll probably have a bigger role. So uh, I don't know how realistic that would be from a net scenario, but yeah, those are some of the names I'm looking at. I think when you pick from those 
groups and I actually realized I forgot Trevor Ariza. He could be another option on the wing, but um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the group I'm looking at. Okay. First of all, Patty Mills is mine. You can't have him. I want him on the Lakers <laughs> so badly. I have been saying this for months. He would be the Spurs perfect connection. level for the Spurs, Lakers. Spurs connections. Sean Marks is going to call him up, get the get the Australian to, to come with the New Zealander in Brooklyn. I don't know. I think Patty Mills might take a little discount to come to the Nets. The thing about it is you don't even need him. Like, let me have him. <laughs> the Lakers, like, nobody on the Lakers, first of all, forget about making a shot. They're afraid of taking threes. The Nets don't mm-hmm. have that problem. No, you can't have him. He's going to the Lakers. I like Reggie Bullock a lot. I mean, defensively, he's grown so much over the last few years. I think he'd be a perfect 3 and D guy for them. I like Cousins as a minimum guy. I think Carmelo as a minimum guy would be fun for them, too. I mean, we know that he and Kyrie and Kevin Durant, let's say they see basketball the same way. I don't know what their relationship is <laughs> like. They have similar views on what it takes to win in the NDA. And it'd be cool if Carmelo got a win. Like, yeah, be- Mel- I've been pushing for Melo to the Nets for about three years now, so you don't have to tell me. But I also think the only way Melo happens is if Mike D'Antoni's not here. So, I mean, the ideal scenario is Mike D'Antoni goes to Portland. They don't resign Melo because of that. And then Melo comes to the Nets because Mike D'Antoni's not there. And it would have to be after probably Jeff Green's off the table and P.J. Tucker and Rudy Game and Otto Porter Jr. So, uh, But I think Melo is a backup forward that he can play when you low-manage KD or whatever that is. Um, I don't think you could ever have enough guys that can create their own shot. And you saw it in this last playoff series. If Mello was on the floor, he's in that second go-to guy. I mean, they, they were without guys to, 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 to that can create their own shots. It was just KD every single time. So, I mean, I think it's a luxury to have a guy like Carmelo Anthony you could throw the ball to in the post, and he could give you offense when you're shorthanded. So um, I, I would love that move personally. The issue with Carmelo is that he has so much cachet around the league and within locker rooms that if he really is, like, let's say he progresses more on offense, Given how bad he was on defense for Portland, that would be a real problem for a Nets team that is better on defense than it should be, but isn't by any means elite. That just gives opponents such a big bullseye to pick on. But you can't take him out of the rotation because if you do, like guys in the locker room would grumble about that. They would say, like, man, Carmelo's a legend. How do we not play him? I think that's an issue you run into. The other issue you'd run into with a guy like Carmelo is that there's a roster spot crunch in Brooklyn. It's not huge. Like, they can definitely add guys, but, like, you probably want Mike James back, right? Like, Mike James was good for them. Johnson was uh, good. I don't know, but I think Mike James has gotten a lot more credit nationally um, than he deserves, um, personally. I think he's a, he's a fun player. Sometimes he can get hot. He does some flashy things. But overall, I mean, he's very inconsistent. He shoots. He's kind of a chucker of sorts, and I don't really love those players typically. I mean, if he's back as a third-string point guard, fine. Um, but I definitely don't think he's someone that you need to bring back. I like Tyler Johnson more personally, and even though he's more of an off guard, I like the way he fits with James Harden. And if Tyler Johnson's your third string point, I'd prefer that over Mike James. I'll say this. I think teams that need shot creation should consider giving Mike James more than the minimum. I don't know who those teams are because you'd have to be pretty desperate to look at Mike James as an upgrade over what you had. But like, he's an NBA player. He's somebody that's going to stick around mm-hmm. in the league. Like, I think he proved that. Um, but I, if you're re-signing Green, if you're re-signing Blake, if you're re-signing Dinwiddie or Brown or both, like suddenly you're getting kind of cramped roster-wise. They have a first-round pick, too, number 27. So that's the only issue I run into, that I don't know that the Nets should be signing luxury guys. Like, sure, like you'd love to have the upside of Carmelo or maybe DeMarcus Cousins. But the downside is considerable enough there that, like, I don't know, I'd rather use those roster spots on guys that are either more dependable or have more long-term upside. But I think we're in the same, we're of the same mind with the sort of free agents they should go after. It's bigger centers, 
three and D guys. Maybe you sneak in one or two ball handlers for the right price, but mainly we're looking for guys that support Harden, Durant, and Irving. I want to go back to the centers for a second, though. I have a couple of trades here. I wonder how you'll feel about them. These are actually like pretty low-cost deals. I think these are pretty sensible. The first one, what about Steven Adams? Because the Pelicans were hearing all these rumblings that Zion isn't happy, Zion wants more shooting around him. What about DeAndre Jordan and Landry Shamit for Steven Adams? You know, if you're swapping DeAndre for him um, and even Shamit, I think that's something I would do just because I think Adams is an upgrade on Jordan, although I don't know if the Net Stars would do that. Um, and that plays a factor here. Um, but if you ask me about Stephen Adams in another in any other scenario, I, I'm not really a huge Stephen Adams guy. I think the game has kind of passed him by a little bit. He's not doesn't switch. He doesn't shoot. Doesn't have great offensive touch. He's kind of just an absolute wall in terms of screening. And um, he, I don't know, he clogs the lane a little bit. I'm not a huge fan of Stephen Adams. Um, makes a lot of money. So I'd probably go in another direction. But if you can do just basically a straight swap of Jordan for him, I mean, maybe you have to consider that. Yeah, the Pelicans, the reason the Pelicans are doing this, number one, you save a little bit of money. Number two, if you get Landry Shamit, you're getting an upside shooter at least. But the reason you're doing this for the Nets is for two matchups. Number one, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the other, Joel Embiid. Right now, I mean, Blake Griffin, again, he defended Giannis admirably. I thought he mostly did a good job. Giannis still scored 40 points in game seven, and he was still great throughout that series. So if you can get an upgrade on that, it's something I would consider. You feel you Here's, definitely you definitely feel more comfortable though with Adams guarding Giannis. I'm not sure he has the foot speed for that. Well, I mean, this is in this scenario, you're just he's not going out on the perimeter at all. He's just parking right at the basket and saying, like, come get me, Giannis. If you want to take that little mid-range jumper, you want to do any turnaround hooks, like that's all that's all you. You can do that. Um the other advantage is the offensive rebounding, by the way. Like the second chances. You get second chances with Durant, Irving, and Hart. Like you're gonna make, you're gonna get your offense is gonna be pretty unstoppable at that point. But he's not as much of a lob threat as he'd probably like. You're right, he kind of just takes up space in the lane. It's not an ideal fit, but I think he's an upgrade over DeAndre. My more, I think Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant would play a play a factor there. I mean, he obviously played with Stephen Adams. See how he feels about him, and then obviously moving on from DeAndre, that that would be something that have to discuss. But I agree with the offensive rebounding mindset. That's why I like Dwight Howard, Enos Cantor, Tristan Thompson. If he opts out, I think they would all be good fits for the Nets. I think Enos Cantor would be. You know, we've heard can't play Cantor for years and years. I think the Nets are the one team that would be so good on offense, and it's like, who cares if he can't guard the perimeter? Like that won't be. <laughs> it. Um, my more ambitious target. We've heard the Ben Simmons rumors to Portland for quite some time, and now I think those are getting a little more realistic. Let's say hypothetically, Philly and Portland did a McCollum for Simmons sort of deal. Well, Yusuf Nurkic doesn't fit on a Ben Simmons team, right? So what if you're, as the Nets, you go to Portland and you say, hey, we'll give you Landry Shamit, another shooter for Simmons. We'll give you our first round pick, number 27, maybe some other second round picks, and then DeAndre Jordan is the cap you know, to meet the cap requirements there. That I think is the more interesting view. Yeah, I would, I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, if Nurkic, I, I like Nurkic. I mean, he had, he had a little bit of a worse year this year than the year before. He's obviously coming back from, from injuries still, but uh, I, I like Nurkic enough that I would make that trade. And again, if you're getting off DeAndre Jordan, you're giving up minimal stuff, which is a late first round pick, maybe a second Landry Shamit, who he's a free agent a year. And I think you can replace him with JJ Redick um, as a bench shooter. Um, so, I mean, uh, that's a trade I would definitely do. Yeah, we haven't really talked about J.J. Redick. I think the only question here is, do the Nets have a roster spot for him? If they want J.J. Redick, J.J. Redick is going to be on that team. That's like the mm-hmm. lock of the offseason. 
Yeah, so I think I'll, JJ Red. I think I mean I think the Nets they have enough spots because you're gonna TLC's gone. You could replace TLC with JJ Redick, although I'd probably want a bigger wing that could defend more of a three and D type. But if they move on from Shamit or Harris, JJ Redick perfectly slides in there. And Johnson is not guaranteed. You can get off of him if you want to. You can create the roster spots if you need to, but they're in a pretty enviable position of like they could just bring everybody back and like add one or two guys and be fine. So they don't have to go for somebody like Reddick, who's older, who's a defensive liability, if they don't want to. I'll throw one last thing out there to you. It's more of a broader question. The Nets did a very smart thing in the way that they structured the James Harden trade. They gave away picks in even-numbered years, and they gave away swap rights in odd-numbered years. Why does this tiny little detail matter? It, because they will have a first-round pick in 2027. They will have Houston's first-round pick in all likelihood, but they will have a first-round pick in 2027. That means that they can trade a first-round <laughs> pick in 2028. Now, I know what you're thinking. Not many GMs want to be adding picks seven years down the line, but Kevin Durant is going to be 40 in 2028. James Harden is going to be, I think, 39. Kyrie is not far behind. If you're a GM with job security, that 2028 Nets pick is a pretty valuable chip. I think if you combine that with Jordan as matching salary, Maybe Landry Shamit, maybe number 27. Mix and match however you see fit. You've got yourself a nice little trade package there. So I'll just ask you broadly. The sky's the limit. Who are your, you know, pipe dream targets? Like, if you could pull this off, you're giving away everything tradable that you can give away, aside from, let's say, Harris and the Stars. Who are you going for? I think Porzingis. I think in terms of being the non-star guys and Harris, Jordan, and then whatever you got to give, I think Porzingis is that guy. Uh, I think. I don't know. I've, I've always loved his game. I know the Nets were high on him a few years ago when he was going to be a restricted free agent. Porzingis had four teams in mind that he would want to go to. It was the Clippers, the Heat, the Raptors, and the Nets. Um, and the Knicks knew about that, and the Knicks got rid of him. So Porzingis, I'm sure, would love to get back in New York. Maybe that rejuvenates him. Maybe um, playing with all his star power on a big stage would be good for him. And I just think even if he doesn't rebound, if he just stays the way he is right now at Dallas, I mean, he's an upgrade on what they have. Um, can protect the rim, gives them a really long team inside with Porzingis and Durant and, and Claxton potentially. So, and he can space the floor. So even though you lose Joe Harris and his gravity on the wing, you, you're, you, you'd be improving your shooting at the five spot enough that I think overall it'd be almost a wash. Um, so, so I don't know. I, Porzingis would be that guy for me. Um, I know a lot of people are low on him, but I think if you can make that move, I mean, the Nets are potentially unbeatable. I mean, I think they might be unbeatable as it is. It depends on what some other teams do. I think there are scenarios where the Lakers and the Clippers could really make it hard on them. And then one or two other teams are going to pop up because they always do. My issues with Porzingis, I mean, there's also the off-court stuff. We have to mention it. I wouldn't be super eager to trade for him for that reason. But on the court, it's a few things. Number one, dude can't move on the perimeter. Like, you're just going to have to accept he's going to get hunted and pick and roll. And you're going to have to devise a defense that can work around that. Number two... He was kind of wasted in Dallas just as kind of a spot-up guy. I don't know, like, what is he really doing offensively besides make threes? The Nets don't need him to make do anything more than make threes. But it feels a little wasteful to me. You're not going to have him, like, running real pick-and-roll with James Harden because he's not a lob threat. I just, what, what would you envision for him on offense? I think with Harden and Kyrie and their dribble penetration, I mean, you put a lot of high screens in there with Porzingis, and he's going to get a, a ton of open looks. I mean, you looked at it even with Blake Griffin, who's a, a solid shooter, but because of, like, the lack of other players to help off of when the Nets had 
uh, their full group out there with Harris and um, Blake Griffin next to the three stars. I mean, teams had to help off of Blake Griffin, just give him wide open shots because it was the only alternative. If you put Porzingis in that spot, he's going to go from being a 36% three-point shooter to a 40% three-point shooter. And um, I think it would do a lot for his confidence. And he's a guy that, again, a guy you can kind of run offense through um, when, when the stars aren't always out there. I mean, I, I really like what he could do with this net squad. I don't know. I, I think he's a perfect fit and a great buy-low opportunity. So I think one of the themes of this offseason league-wide is the sort of redemption candidates. I mean, we already saw the Kemba Walker for Al Horford trade, which kind of works on both sides for that. But there's Ben Simmons, who is obviously a very, very flawed player. Chris Porzingis, similar. Joe Harris, even to an extent. Like, I don't think the Nets are going to trade him. But I think they'd listen. And I think there are going to be teams out there that think to themselves, we can find a way to make Joe Harris the shooter in the playoffs that he is in the regular season. There aren't the sort of traditional superstars out there. I don't think Damian Lillard is available. I don't think Bradley Beal is available. There's nobody in free agency that's like that unless, I mean, Kawhi is technically a free agent. He's not going anywhere. I think the teams that make big jumps this offseason are going to be the teams that take swings on the sort of redemption candidate guys, the guys who in the right situation could get a lot better. The Nets don't need to do that. They're, they have such a high floor as is that I don't think they really need to go after somebody like that. But they're in this position, it's a very enviable position, where they can do that if that's what they want. I think that's the almost impossible thing to consider when you look at the trade they made for James Harden. What we were saying at the time was, they've given up everything. They have nothing left to trade. They have no way to build depth. Well, now we're not even a year out of that, and they're in a position where they can get a lot of talented guys this offseason. So I'll just leave, we'll end on this. What is your offseason prediction? I'm not going to make you predict the entire 15-man roster, but what do you think the opening night rotation looks like? Uh, that's tough. I'd say uh, – here, I'll go I'll go with each player. I don't think Spencer's in when he's back. I think the Nets are going to sign and trade him. I don't know if they get a player back. I think it's most likely they get a trade exception and maybe uh, uh, some very little draft compensation just to have that trade exception going to the deadline. Uh, it gives him flexibility. I think Blake comes back either on the minimum or his slightly bird, uh, non-bird raise. I think Jeff Green, that situation will be interesting because there are, as we mentioned, alternatives to Jeff Green um, that the Nets might even prefer, regardless of if Jeff Green wants more money. Like if they can get Otto Porter Jr., maybe do Sean Marks a solid for getting him that max contract a few years ago, try and rehab his value, or even Rudy Gay, I think, is a slightly better player, and P.J. Tucker, I mentioned. So they have those options as a better player they can try and snag. And then the backup to Jeff Green, if the Nets feel like using their mid-level somewhere else, I think they can maybe get Melo for the minimum. Although, I don't know, Sean Marks. The I think he's the minimum West. guy. Yeah, he hasn't listened to me over the last three years about Melo, so who knows his feelings on him. So, um, but I think, I think, uh, I'd say, I'd say it's maybe 60-40. Jeff Green's back. We'll see. I think, like I mentioned, they have options. So, um, that's what it is. Bruce Brown, from what I heard, that the Nets have a tipping point on his contract. Um, I don't think it's definite he comes back but as you said there's not a lot of teams with cap space around the league that might go for him so maybe he does have to settle with the nets and realize that he has a niche role with the nets that he won't be able to do everywhere else and maybe he realizes best for his career to to stick with the nets so maybe he gets six to eight million instead and six with brooklyn tyler johnson i think there are options in free agency to replace him you kind of i like him as a player but um there are potential upgrades like if you get jj reddick here there might not be a spot for johnson and then i think all these back end of the roster guys really depend on um, what guys they can get in free agency. So the only guys I think are definitely not coming back is, is TLC. Honestly, TLC is probably the only player I'd say is definitely not coming back. And second most likely to not come back, I'd say is Spencer Dinwiddie. So 
Um, that's what I'm looking at right there. And then they have Alize Johnson, his non-guaranteed. I think maybe they keep him as a back-end development piece, cheap contract. And uh, But, I, I mean, I, I think they're going to have their pick of the litter in terms of veteran free agents. So, And I really do like the, the, the veteran free agent class in terms of the minimum and potential MLE guys this offseason. So I think there are guys and that's going to add and really improve that back end and just ensure maximum safety in case you run into this scenario again this uh, next off, uh, next playoffs if, if guys get hurt. Yeah, I think the likeliest scenario is Jeff Green is back, Blake is back, Bruce Brown is back, Spencer Dinwiddie is traded for something of value. I think Otto Porter is pretty likely just because we've seen this. Sean Marks always gets his guy. Always. Alan Crabb, oh, we signed him to the big offer sheet. He re-signs with Portland. They match. Nope, we're going to trade for him. Tyler Johnson, he stays with the Heat. Nope, we're going to get him as a minimum guy. That's how this ends. That's how this always ends. Otto Porter is going to be a net at some point. My sort of bolder prediction, I'm not going to give a name. I think they're going to end up trading for a center of note. It might be with Spencer Dinwiddie. It might be with DeAndre Jordan. I think Landry Shamit is a candidate to be involved. But I think they're going to end up trading. Maybe a first-round pick will be involved. I don't know. I think they're going into next season thinking we have Nick Claxton as one of our center options. We have Blake Griffin as another. But then we want a sturdier, bigger, more Mm defensive-oriented guy. And not a switcher like a bigger, bulkier rim protector type. I think that's going yeah, to be I agree. probably I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah, I don't, I had to predict the bullet. I'm not sure they moved Joe Harris. Um, like you mentioned, there's other avenues they can do it, but I think the idea is that the Nets are going to have a new starting center by next year. And I think Blake will be back, but Blake will be someone he can play the four or the five. He could play with that guy or with Claxton. Claxton can give you minutes at the five. And ideally it's a guy that could stretch the floor at center because that's why I brought up Turner and Porzingis because then you could play Claxton with them and Claxton can guard fours and Claxton could be the rim roller on offense. And that guy could pop out on, 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 um, on offense. So I don't know. I think that would be the ideal thing. You know, let me go back to Joe Harris for a second. I just, I want to, why do you think that Landry Shaman only played seven minutes in game seven? Like, I'm just, I'm thinking about this at no point did Brooklyn's confidence in Joe Harris waiver. Do you think they were hoping that the shot would get right? And it was better in game seven. I think he made three threes. But I don't think the defense was necessarily terrible. It wasn't great. He could do a little bit with the ball in his hands. Like, I guess what I'm wondering is, how confident do you think the Nets are in Harris? Do you think this was more they didn't trust Shamit? Like, why did they keep playing Harris, essentially? I think they're super confident in Joe Harris, and they are a believer in his all-around game more so than I am. They think he's a very solid defender, very smart defender, plays to the game plan, um, and typically a high IQ player overall. Um, his defense was not good on Chris Middleton and they switched that matchup and he guarded Drew Holiday for most of game seven. And he actually did a good job. I don't know how much of that was Harris or the fact that Holiday couldn't hit anything the entire series. Um, but Holiday didn't have a good game. So I think they were going with that. They don't trust Shaman as much, maybe defensively. He's a little smaller and get picked on on switches. Um, and also the fact that, um, they were trying to match Shaman's minutes with Connaughton. So Connaughton, whenever he came in, Shaman came in and the Nets were very matchup oriented in game seven. You saw that with Blake checking in with Giannis and Jeff Green only coming in for, for little spurts when Giannis really wasn't on the floor for the most part. So um, I think they really just went with their best matchups for game seven and without having their full roster of pieces healthy, uh, they had to really rely on Joe Harris because they didn't have that many other guys. Yeah, I think that was really the key to it. I think if they had an alternative to Joe Harris that they trusted, they might have gone in that direction, but they didn't. So they had no choice but to keep him on the floor forever. You know, I actually have one more question before we go. Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving are all now extension eligible. Do you think they're going to sign or do you think they're going to wait? 
It's interesting. Um, I think if they had won the championship, they all re-up for a one plus one. I still think there's a chance they re-up for a one plus one just so there's not maybe an expiring contract pressure of next year because they really haven't had a ton of time together. So I don't expect them to sign big extensions, but I think one plus ones are possibilities. Yeah, that's probably where I'm at too. I mean, I think with Kyrie, anything is possible. And like, if you told me he retired at the end of this contract, I wouldn't dismiss that out of hand. But I think the likeliest scenario here is all three of these guys are still stars. All three of them want to maintain some degree of flexibility. But if you can guarantee yourself a little bit more money, you probably go for it. So I think one plus one is probably a smart extension archetype. But anyway, Billy, I've kept you for enough time as it is. But there will be a third time. And I look forward to you and Yossi competing for the title of most, what what, what would we call it? (laughs) Most visited guest. I don't know. Most, the guest who's been on the most, most appearances maybe. That's what we'll go with. But Billy, I'm sure you will be back before the season starts. It was a pleasure to have you on. Everybody go read Billy's stuff at Nets Daily. Anything else you want to plug? Nope. You read it at Nets Daily and you can follow me at Billy Reinhart on Twitter and I'll link all my stuff there, whether it's podcasts, interviews, articles, anything like that. Colin and I will be back later in the week and that'll do it. So go like, go subscribe, go review, whatever it is you have to do to get people to listen. That's it for today. And we will be back later in the week.